today as we are in Proverbs chapter 2 in our study of the book of Proverbs. I can think of no better way than to begin this study today in chapter 2 than to look at chapter 31 of Proverbs. As we see throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom is a central theme, and in fact, it's personified as a woman. And I think it's a perfect close to the book of Proverbs when we see the virtuous woman. And so in lieu of a sort of a classic, typical illustration to open the, this sermon, I think it'd be appropriate and very fitting for us to read through a selection of Proverbs 31. And so in verse 10, it begins like this. And by the way, before we begin, whether or not you're a wife or a woman, or a wife or a mother rather, or whether or not you're a woman at all, men, there's a lot that we can learn here as well. Even though this is specifically applied to the virtuous woman, there's a lot, men, that we can learn here as well as this reflects Christ-like character. So no, we do not get to check out as we're reading these verses Starting in verse 10, it says, Then who can find a virtuous wife or a woman, it might say in your translation, for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like a merchant ship who brings in food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From from her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. And listen to this, and yes, she reaches her hands to the hands of the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. God, as we come today and we see this personification, or we see the personification of wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs, and we see this perfectly exhibited uh, here in this, uh, in, in the example of the virtuous woman, help us whether or not that we're a wife or mother, whether or not we're even a man or a woman, Lord, help us to realize that this is, has wonderful example and wonderful application for the men in the room as well as the women, because this is ultimately a living out. This is putting to work the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. God, may this be a strong example to us, whether 
there's a woman in this room or a man, may this be a strong example of what it means to live out Christ-like character and the wisdom of your word. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. In the midst of our sermon series, we come now to our selection from chapter 2 of the book of Proverbs. And last week, we talked about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you remember here in verse 7 of chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And we talked about last week, which we'll tag back to again, we see this sort of dichotomy or we see this sort of polar opposite of two different people that we see exemplified in the book of Proverbs. We see the wise person and the fool. And as we begin to walk through this as well, we see, well, how do we live this out if we tag back to what we talked about last week? How does one become wise instead of a fool? Well, in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 1, it says, "...to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding." to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. And we'll see that come back to the forefront here in our selection of verses today from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. But what we have to remember and what we see rise out of our passage today is that the Lord gives wisdom. It's not something that we search for fruitlessly. He gives wisdom if we search for it. And so what happens in that all of life, whether it be the sort of focus of the entirety of our life, and we make up our mind that we are going to walk in the wisdom of the Lord, or whether it comes down to daily practical events in our life, we come to crossroads constantly. And the crossroad, the fork in the road, is this. Are we going to take the way of wisdom, or are we going to take the way of the world and sin, which leads to bitterness and to death? And so it says this, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, my son, If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver, see, we see it personified here, wisdom personified throughout Scripture, throughout the book of Proverbs, and it says, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. It is not a fruitless search. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He is a shield and protection. He guards the paths of justice and preserves preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice equity, and every good path. So we begin today, our first point begins simply as a very simple but powerful question. How do I value wisdom? How do I value wisdom? If I'm called to value it, what do I do? What are the clues given within this passage? What are the very practical advice given within this passage for valuing it? Yes, I understand that, you know, sort of theoretically, I need to understand, I need to value wisdom, but what specifically do I do? 
Before we look at sort of the answer to this question and then the answer to the second question found later in these verses, the the really interesting thing that we see about this, and it lays out just perfectly under the inspiration of God through the Holy Spirit, through the writer of the book of Proverbs, we see here that it hinges on this very powerful if-then clause, this if-then clause in three different parts, three parts on the if side, two on the then side. And we see, he says, if this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then in the second part of the passage, then this happens and this happens, this happens and this happens. So, it's, so when we think about the question, how do I value wisdom? How can I practically value wisdom? Listen to this. Write this down. You value wisdom by applying your heart to wisdom. And we're going to break each of these down. You value wisdom by applying your heart to wisdom, not just sort of haphazardly going through life and just hoping you kind of soak it in by osmosis. By applying your heart to wisdom, yearning for wisdom, yearning for wisdom and seeking wisdom wisdom. So how do we value it? By applying our hearts to it, yearning for it, and seeking wisdom. Again, in verses 1 through 2, as we read these, we have to remember that this isn't some sort of academic exercise. Is when we think about how do we value wisdom, well, do we academically uh, apply it, yearn for it, seek it? You could see in the midst of it that, yes, this is some understanding and study, and there is There is memorizing of Scripture, but this is a spiritual exercise. This is a spiritual discipline. And as we see here again in verses 1 through 2, my son, he says, if you receive my words, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and you lift up your voice for understanding. And then he goes on and on these Three more if clauses here. But looking at that first couple of verses, it says, if you receive my words. When we look at the original word there, we don't just take it as this sort of simple reception of the words. Like we read through it, we say, hey, that's interesting. I'm just going to kind of add that with with these interesting sayings that I read from the paper or I get from this selection or it just kind of comes up in my social media feed. And, you know, I'm just going to kind of add this along with these other interesting sayings I've heard from, from special people there in the world. No, this is something when we are saying we are receiving it, it is we are willingly taking it in. We're not reluctantly taking it in. We're not reluctantly, but we're applying our heart to it and we are seeking it willingly. We're not saying, okay, God, I'll take what you say. I'll read the book of Proverbs. I'll read the entirety of scripture and I will listen to it. I will apply it if I like it right? Now, we'd never be so brazen to say that. We'd never be so brazen as to have a prayer time with God and say, you know what? If I like it, I'll do it. But if I don't really like it, I'm going to do it my own way. But oftentimes, that's how we live out practically, isn't it? We don't say it so brazenly as that, but in the practical living of life, that's exactly what we do. And as we're going to see here, as we're going to transition at the end, we're going to end talking about next week as well in chapter three, it comes down to a matter of trust, faith, Trusting in the Lord, or are we not going to trust in the Lord? So again, when we talk about receiving the words of God, it's not reluctantly, but it is willingly. And more so than that, he says here in the second part of verse 1, and treasure my commands. In fact, we'll see that concept of treasure come up again. And treasure my commands. So it's more than just listening. It's more than just kind of taking it in and sort of through osmosis, you know, just sort of hoping it soaks in. It is treasuring it. You remember the Lord of the Rings, right? You remember the character that that had the precious Gollum? Remember Gollum? Anybody seen Lord of the Rings? And he had the little ring, and it was his precious. And he would talk, and he would go around. And can anybody do the voice quickly on the fly? 
Come on, I know somebody can. Precious. Somewhat. I don't know. I'm sure somebody's better than me. But he, the, the character had the ring, and it was his precious. He treasured it. He was obsessed with it. He was obsessed with it. And really in the same way, we are to treasure the word of God. It's not just something that, hey, we'll add it to the list of things that kind of make up our wisdom, our quote-unquote wisdom. But no, we treasure the word of God because it is the very word of God. And it says treasure it within you. How do we set the word of God within our heart? What do we do? It must be internalized. We must read it, but we must do more than read it. We must memorize it. If you just want to get down to the brass tacks of practicality, you've got to memorize the word of God. You've got to memorize it so it's there at, at, at the time when you need it, when you must resist temptation, when you're doing more than just resisting temptation, when you're trying to proactively live for the Lord, encouragement, wisdom in that time of, of, of particular decision-making. Memorize the word of God. Memorize the word of God. Verse 2, so that you incline your ear to wisdom. The one, again, who is willingly ready to hear. The one who is willingly ready to listen and obey. Listen to this, guys. The more we treasure the word of God, the more we act upon it. The more we treasure it, the more we act upon it. The more we incline our ear to that wisdom, the more we treasure the word of God, the more we act upon it. The more we act upon it, the more we realize that God is right and his way of life is rewarding. The more we realize that his life, his way of life is rewarding, the more we will readily listen to further wisdom of God. It just makes sense, right? When we give it our, our, our best commitment, and remember, we're not walking in our own power or walking in the power of the Lord, but when we make that sort of daily consecration choice of saying, I'm yielding myself to you, God, today I'm turning over the keys of my life and I'm going to trust you. Okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do it your way. The more we do it, we realize that, yeah, you know what? Life is not free of potholes. It doesn't mean that following God removes all the difficulty of life, but we are able to navigate that difficulty with that peace that passes all understanding. When we do it God's way, we understand, guess what? We're doing it the right way. So that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Do you hear the strength of that word? Applying yourself to it, applying yourself to it. Again, anything worth doing takes application of our will. The great thing about this is that any other effort in life is ultimately a product of applying ourselves with our own will. We are applying ourselves, applying ourselves. But here's the thing. When we're walking in the wisdom of the Lord, yes, it takes some consecration on our part. It takes some yielding on our part. It takes some, yes, I'm going to not make this choice, and I'm going to make this choice to sit down, read God's word, study, memorize. Yes, I'm going to make those choices, but guess what? God's power comes in alongside you and empowers you to do the work, to do the effort. It is not on your own. It is not you trying to to sort of, sort of buck up and do your own thing, but it's, a, it's God coming alongside you and applying his eternal power to your consecration. But anything we do requires us sort of applying ourselves to it, right? We think about hobbies that we've had, or we all kind of know someone that really can go all in on a hobby. We know people, maybe we're that person that just sort of goes all in on a hobby, you know, I've, I've got lots of fishing gear, not lots, relatively speaking. I don't have a bass boat, but, you know, compared to others, I've got, I've got five fishing poles, even though you can only take two without a special license. I've got five fishing poles. I've got four spinning, re- or I've got four 
yeah, spinning reels, and I've got, or no, two spinning reels, so I've got six. I've got two spinning reels and four bait casters, and I've got a backpack full of soft baits. I've got all sorts of things. I like to fish, right? I like to fish. So I've got a hobby, and then you, maybe, you've, maybe some of you are pickleball players, or you know a pickleball player. That's like the hottest new hobby, and you know, it, maybe it's you, maybe you're like me. You get all the gear, and you go all in on the gear, and you perfectly apply yourself until the next thing comes along, right? Right? But in the same way, we've got to apply ourselves to growing in wisdom of God. It's not just something we sort of hope happens by coming to church, right? Now, it's a great thing that we come to church and we share the word of God together and we're encouraged and challenged by the word of God. But this is something we're to gather together today to go back out into the world, spread the good news of the gospel, and daily we're to be growing on our own by immersing ourselves in the word of God. So it says, and apply your heart to understanding. And yes, verse 3, again, we see one of those if clauses. If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice to understanding. If you cry out and lift up your voice for understanding. Folks, the search is strenuous. It is. I'm not going to try to schmooze you. I'm not going to try to blow smoke. The God is strenuous in the midst of a broken world that is broken and fallen, broken by sin. But guess what? It is a strenuous effort on our fact that, again, God comes along and empowers, and it's not aimless. Again, touching back on verse 1 of this chapter, we have the very words and commands of God. It's not some sort of fruitless, aimless effort. But here's the thing. It really comes down to this. Do we want to just continue to be buffeted by the winds and the waves of, of the circumstances of your life? Do you want to just continue to be tossed by those waves and of the circumstances of life? Do you want to continue to be tossed by conflict at work, failure at home, hopelessness at your school, all the while trying to figure it out, quote-unquote, figure it out with the wisdom of the world? Do you want to do that, or do you want to, as difficult as and as strenuous as it may be, and as uh, at times, God never says that, that, that life is going to be free from problems when you follow him. But yes, it will be strenuous at times, but it will be fruitful. It will be fruitful. Yes, if you cry out for discernment. If you cry out for discernment, if you search for it, if you seek it out, you will have fruit in the moment. But why do we not cry out? I think a lot of times it comes down to humility, right? We don't want to admit in our, in our own pride that, you know what, we need help. We don't want to admit that I've failed. I need help. I need, some, I need some answer that's outside of myself. It really touches at the heart. It hits that nerve of our own human pride. But guess, guess what, folks? That's right where we need to be. Right in that spot where we've said, you know what? I failed. I can't do it on my own. God, I need you to come alongside me. I need, I need strength to follow your word. I believe your way is right. That's exactly where we need to be. Because in that spot, Right there, we have now become that Jeremiah 18.6 moldable clay in the hands of the potter. Verse 4 again, we're thinking about that question, how do I value wisdom? Not only do we talk about uh, applying it and yearning, but also seeking after it. It says, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure. If you seek for her and search for her as hidden treasure, and then again it leads us into the second part of our message, which will be, then this happens, and then this happens. But again, before we get there, we see this sort of treasuring as silver and searching for hidden treasure. You know, in one of my honorier days, I guess you could say, in, early in high school, 
Uh, it wasn't something terrible, but I, it's actually a little funny, but, you know, a little ornery. They had uh, things called, uh, they had a thing down in Derby called Derby Days. It was sort of like Wichita Riverfest light, you know. I don't know if anybody here is from Derby or knows. I don't even know if they still do Derby Days. But it was like a Wichita Riverfest light complete with searching for the medallion. Do they even search for the medallion of Wichita Riverfest still? Do they still do that? Well, they had a medallion search down in Derby. So my buddies and I, one of them got a video camera, and we were just videotaping everything. You know, it's basically what you do with cell phones now. We were videotaping everything. So we got this great idea that we would go and make a fake medallion, fake medallion, and we put it in this box, and we took it to the roadside and everything and because we, we saw a bunch of people searching along this one roadside for this, for this clue. So we got this fake medallion, put it out there, and videotape people picking it up and taking it, and they'd take it in and realize it wasn't right and take it back and this sort of things. And yes, it was ornery. I know that. It wasn't right. I don't recommend it again. But yet we see this sort of searching for this treasure, and it was probably like who knows what the prize was, right? But we, we see even greater prizes, even greater treasures with a far greater prize and far greater worth, and we understand the concept of searching for a treasure, searching for something that has value, right? And we can even think about maybe lost money, some money that we've lost, and we think about, I understand the value of that because it's necessary to sustain us. Sometimes we believe erroneously that it's necessary for my happiness. But do we understand how essential wisdom is as well? Do we think about it in the same way? Do we see that it's essential? Do we understand the value of God's wisdom? Do we think it's necessary for us to live? And do we truly believe that doing it God's way, living in his wisdom, doesn't mean, again, problem-free life, but doing so will bring us the greatest joy, not just fleeting happiness, but joy, joy that is not tossed by the winds and waves of life. Do we believe those things or do we not? So first question then that we answered is how do I value wisdom? And we see the if this and if this and if this. But then secondly, why, why should I value that wisdom? Why should I value wisdom? Well, here's the thing. You must value wisdom, listen to this, because you gain an understanding You gain an understanding. It's going to be up here on the screen. Why should I value wisdom? You must value wisdom because you gain an understanding of God's ways and the ability to carry them out in your life. So we talked about treasuring it. We treasure and we understand that God's wisdom supersedes all of the quote-unquote wisdom of the world. We realize that his way is right. And guess what? As we search it out, we are, a, we are given the ability by God to carry them out, a wisdom that, and an ability that is beyond ourselves. Verses 5 through 8 says this. Again, we first see this first occurrence of then. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. First of all, we will understand the fear of the Lord. Remember, we touched back on this, and you'll see it as a reoccurring theme throughout the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We see this sort of wonderful polarity here of not only the types of people, but what wisdom, what the fear of the Lord means. 
We see this polarity of the wise and the fool, but we also see this sort of beautiful polarity of Old Testament, what it means in the Old Testament of what is called true religion. It is the awe and intimacy of God. If you didn't join us last week, it is not this sort of cowering fear, this sort of cowering fear of destruction, although God is all-powerful, but it is this beautiful dichotomy, this beautiful balance of awe and intimacy of the Creator of the universe, knowing that we are in awe of the one who is all-powerful, but yet we have, of his own initiative, intimacy with him. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Again, when we think about great treasure hunting movies, I can't help but think of National Treasure, the Nicolas Cage movie, and uh, I think it's had two or three sequels after that, but National Treasure, wonderful, cool movie, really cool movie, how he's going through, he's searching through, and, and and some of the founding fathers and founding documents of our country and clues to treasure and stuff like this. And oftentimes when we think of treasure and finding it and seeking it for it, looking for it, when we, when we read those things in Scripture, might we think that, okay, is that the same way that we have to get these words just right and pair it up with this and find this section here? And, and, and only when I get to a certain level of learning, once I've had two or three theology degrees, that then I can figure out and find this knowledge of God. Not at all. Not at all. The beauty of the word of God, many have said, many great Christian writers have said before, that it is, it is shallow enough in which a child can wade and walk in understanding, but yet it is deep enough for a theologian to drown. It's the beautiful uh, concept of the word of God is that it is easy for us to understand and so straightforward for us to see, this is what God's telling me to do. Am I going to trust him with it or not? So then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Guess what? For God, for the Lord, gives wisdom. Again, it's not some sort of complicated search throughout the bowels of some room and some some hallowed halls of some great way of thinking like some national treasure movie. No, God gives wisdom. He gladly gives it. He makes it readily available to us if we are willing to listen and trust and understand. His words unto us aren't on some mountaintop seeking out some sort of uh, uh, obscure shaman. It is right here, right here for us to read and obey. He makes it readily available. It says, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It is not some sort of an enigma wrapped in a riddle. It is not something that we have to search for high and low, wondering if we're going to find again. It is right here, right here for us to read. Are we going to follow it? Verse 7, it says, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He stores up wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He has an unending surplus of wisdom for us. It's, again, not as though there's, there's, there, there's some limit to his wisdom, that we'll face some sort of situation in which there's not an answer for. You, see, you understand all of the, the, the different difficulties of culture, all of the different uh, manifestations of, of sin that happen in culture and situations that happen in culture. They are different manifestations that fit our time, but they all come back to common roots of issue and sin in a fallen world. And so there is no limit to the wisdom of God. You know, in our house, uh, Allie, my wife, used to coupon quite a bit. And we have gone, I don't think we have bought shaving cream and razors in what, the 10 plus years? 
we have a store of shaving cream and razors. If you guys ever need some, we have plenty at the house. We haven't bought them in 10 years. That's how much we have. We stored up this huge store. And I think I've still got like six bottles of shaving cream in our house. And so, you know, we just have this unending supply, unending supply. And in the same way, God has this unending surplus of wisdom for us. It is not as though it's going to run out at any time soon. It's not as though you will plumb the depths and you will find the limit of God's wisdom. That, oh, no, I will run into a situation. I found this situation at work in which God just doesn't have an answer for this. I'm going to have to figure this one out on my own or I'm going to have to listen to the view or whatever else to get my wisdom. God has an answer for that. Of all things, that gets the reaction, right? (laughs) God has the answer for it. We will not plumb the depths of his wisdom. Not only that, but it says that he is our shield. His wisdom is a protection in the midst of the difficulties of life. And again, hear me, I will say it ad nauseum in in the midst of this sermon and throughout the midst of this sermon series and otherwise. God never says that he is going to smooth out and completely remove all the difficulties of life, but he will protect us in the midst of it. He will protect us in the midst of it. He guards the paths of justice. We may look in our world and say that justice is gone. We live in the midst of an unjust world, but God upholds justice. He is the one that gives ultimate justice at the final judgment. He is a God not only of love, but of justice. And it says also that in the midst of wisdom, he preserves the way of his saints. Yes, life is not without difficulties. There will still be difficulties in life as a follower of Jesus Christ. But he will, in many ways, his wisdom will clear out some of the unnecessary pain. Some of the unnecessary pain in the midst of our life. We've heard about the newest iteration of helicopter parent, right? You've heard of snowplow parent? And the greatest example of that are some, is this scandal in which some of these celebrities were caught paying uh, institutions of higher learning so that their kids could go and get in, even though they didn't have the grades and they weren't able to get in on their own. It's like the ultimate example of a snowplow parent, kind of plowing out of the way every single uh, abstraction, every single obstruction in the midst of their life and clearing it out of the way. That is not at all what God does. There is going to be difficulty in our life. However, when we walk in his wisdom, we spare ourselves and we avoid unnecessary pain and unnecessary difficulty. Verse 9, we see this second then. The second then. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, equity, and every good path. We see here that is the second side of of our statement that says, and the ability to carry them out in your life. Another way of saying that is ethical, correct, right, Christ-like living. We see this sort of, it's an ethical triad. We see it, if you remember it from last week, it's reflected there in chapter 1, verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Once again, that righteousness is the application of righteousness in the midst of dealing with others, dealing rightly with other people. Justice, conforming to the will and the standard of God as we live in life. Equity, living fair and in a pleasing manner. And guess what? That, probably more than any other thing we may have possibly said here, just absolutely runs 180 degree from what the mantra of the world is. The mantra of the world is dog eat dog, look out for number one because no one else is going to. When we live in this way, talk about walking out in trust in God, we say, guess what? I'm going to live in equity. I'm going to live in a fair and pleasing manner. I'm going to do what's right. 
I'm going to do what is right for others, and I'm going to trust God that he's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of me. And as we do, it says that we'll live in justice, equity, and every good path. You begin, the more you walk in the wisdom of God, you begin to realize, again, his way is right, and you begin to love it. Let me touch back on one more time here at what we said in the first part of our section. The more we treasure the word of God, the more we act upon it. The more we act upon it, the more we realize that God is right and his way of life is rewarding. The more we realize that his way of life is rewarding, the more we will readily listen to his further wisdom. But guess what, folks? It's ultimately a matter of immersing ourselves in the word of God, and it's ultimately this. Let me read for you and give you a preview of next week because this is what it comes down to. And we know and we understand the wisdom of God. It's a matter of are we going to trust him? Chapter 3, verse 5 and following says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We're really good at doing that, aren't we? We're really good at leaning on our own understanding. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Let's pray. Lord God, as we seek out and we treasure wisdom, as we begin to look uh, more deeply and more specifically over the course of the next several weeks at specific points of wisdom, Lord God, may we never forget that your wisdom isn't just something that we can hope we pick up by osmosis. It's not something that we just sort of leave on the roadside and we listen to from time to time and we pick and choose what we want, that it's a matter of trust. Are we going to trust that your way is right? Or are we going to trust that our way is right? And Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that uh, for every perceived success in our way, there are multiple true failures. And so Lord, may we trust you that your way, your way is right. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, before we can ever have...